just something to think about. Something to think about. All right, the elephant in the room. Elephant in the room. This week, my family, we drove to Southern California to drop off my oldest daughter at UC Irvine. So I am now an anteater, and I found out this is how you do that, and you say zot, 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 right, right? Um, yeah, it was crazy, uh, you know, and, and I, I'm going to talk about it, and I'm not going to cry because I feel really a lot more um, excitement for my daughter Alana than I am sad. I'm sad because I can't just walk into a room and annoy her anymore, um, and now she avoids all my FaceTime, mess- FaceTime calls. <laughs> Um, but it was, it was really an interesting experience to go and to, to drop off our, our daughter at college and to, to just have like this moment where, you know, the last 18 years of her life just became, wow, like what happened? It happened so quickly. And then I also was reminded that our youngest is seven and it's going to be a long time before we are able to really like feel that empty nest uh, moment, but it was funny when we were walking around uh, UC Irvine for a moment. Um, I'm just like looking at it, and, and the the University of Irvine is just a beautiful campus. It is absolutely gorgeous. I mean, I haven't been to a UC um, that is not pretty beautiful. And so we were walking around, and I'm like, oh my gosh. And uh, the weather there is pretty much perfect. Have any of you you've been to SoCal, right? I mean, it's just like, gosh, man, it's always nice. And so we're walking around. And uh, as we're walking around, I was thinking, I was like, oh, man, I'm talking to Alana. I'm like, how, you know, so what's the, what's the, like, housing here? And she's telling me how much it is. I was like, that's not that expensive to live in Southern California. I was like, maybe I should go back to college. And uh, so I was having all these funny things about us, like, taking classes together. And, you know, and obviously that would not happen because she would transfer immediately. Um, but it, it really had me start remembering um, you know, my college experience in my grad school, I, I, was, I went to school for about 10 years. I did four years of studying theology in my undergrad. I was the only guy who, who did an undergrad degree in theology and philosophy, and then I did two master's degrees in theology, and so I was in school forever. And I remember um, just a lot of that, and as I was thinking about it, I was like, no, I think I'm good. I'm not going back to school. Oh, my gosh, it was just a lot of, a lot of work. Um, but it got me thinking about a number of things that I remember hearing and studying while in seminary. And one of, one of my favorite quotes um, is from this theologian ma- named Karl Barth. And Karl Barth was arguably one of the most influential theologians of the 1900s. I mean, he was a prolific author, wrote a ton, preached. I mean, he was really a, a very, very intellectual, bright, um, shining star for the church. And this is what he said. He, he said his, re- his recommendation for Christians, this is for all of us, was to keep your Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. Keep your Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. And so <clears throat> what I've been doing in the morning in addition to my devotions is I, I watch the news. Anybody else watch the news in the morning? And then you quickly decide that that was a bad decision? Right? Like you turn it on, it's just like, oh my gosh, just one one story after the other of just almost depressing things. And it's like tragedy after tragedy. And, and if you know anything about journalism and media, you'll know that, um, that tragedy sells, right? Um, the, the saying in journalism is if it bleeds, it leads. And it seems like that is very much the prominent um, philosophy undergirding any news or media that we see is that it's just a lot of tragedy, 
a lot of negativity. It's just one thing after the other. But I've been thinking a lot about that statement by Karl Barth. Bible in one hand, having your Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. And why is that? And I think what Karl Barth wanted us to think about is the reason why we need a Bible in one hand is that we need to be reminded that our ultimate identity is in Jesus and our ultimate political, um, I guess, you know, um, affirmation, our, our, our primary political commitment is to the kingdom of God. It's to the kingdom of God. We have to be reminded, though, of hope and encouragement and of the gospel and, and all of those realities. We also need to be reminded, I think, that the ultimate solution to all of the world problems that exist is Jesus. Amen? Like, I believe that with all of my heart. I think that the world has a lot of really complex questions that we need to wrestle with, that we need to be willing to engage. But ultimately, I think that the, the best answer to all of the questions and, and issues and challenges facing us is Jesus and what it looks like to live out our faith in Jesus. And so we keep the Bible in one hand because we have to root ourselves in the ultimate reality. But we also need a newspaper in our hand because it helps us know what to pray for. Like when I turn on the news, I am, I am stirred to pray. I am stirred to pray. Um, we also need to have a newspaper in our hands because it really does help us understand the current crisis that is facing humanity. And it nudges us a little bit to know how to engage with people around us. So with this in mind, I want us to think about the context of the world that we live in. The world that we live in is crazy. It's challenging. It's frustrating. There are there are concerns that are really good concerns and we need to have wisdom when we're trying to wrestle with them. And there's also a lot of fear that is stoked by media that is trying to um, cause us to maybe be controlled by that. There's all these different things all over the spectrum that we really have a lot to wrestle with. And, and at the end of the day, the older I get and the more time that I spend thinking about my faith, the more I believe that, that, that some of the ancient practices of the church the only way for us to be able to be sustained and to come out of this thing um, ahead of the game, so to speak, is if we lean into the ancient practices and traditions of the church, reading scripture, praying together, praying in our private lives, being in community, worshiping, all these practices actually matter. Amen? They actually matter. And so I want to do something uh, that we do every week here. We're in this sermon series right now. Um, we're looking at selections from the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the Philippians. And what I want to do is I want to read a large portion of scripture today, <clears throat> a whole chapter plus one verse. I want to look at Philippians chapter three, the whole chapter, and then one verse from chapter four. Um, and the reason why I want to do this is because it's going to help us to think about the topic of today's uh, sermon. And then also it's because I believe with all of my heart that scripture contains the words of life and just Hearing scripture together is helpful, amen? And so let's look at Philippians chapter three and start here. Paul writes these words. He says, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things and I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for these dogs, these people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus 
has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight years old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if ever there was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Let me read that again. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ, for Christ's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death so that, no way, that, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. I gotta read that again, that's such a beautiful sentence. Paul writes, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree at some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after me and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear brothers, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. Heavenly Father, we do pray right now for your Holy Spirit to come and to fill our hearts, fill our minds, 
and to stir us up to do more than just hear these words, more than just say these words, but to become doers of your word. Lord, I pray that you would encounter us today, that something would trans- be transformed as we, as we stand together, sit together, pray together, think together, and, and look at applying scripture to each one of our lives in the context that we find ourselves in. Lord, I just pray for your grace to be, to be realized today in a way that it has not yet been realized for anybody in this room. Would you stir us up? Breathe on us this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. This is an interesting text because we find that the Philippians, the people living in the city of Philippi, were really struggling with two, two issues in in their context. And I think that's an interesting thing to think about a bit because it seems like, um, you know, in church world, in, in the church, if we spend time thinking about it, we can always find things that we struggle with as, as communities. Um, my wife and I, we've been in ministry for, for almost 20 years now. Uh, I think a little over 22, 24 years actually. I was 18 years old when I started um, serving in a church. Um, and so I've been around the block a little bit. Before that, I was in church for most of my life. And I can tell you that churches, communities go through seasons and they go through mountains and valley tops and, and valleys. And, and what happens is there's certain times where they struggle with certain things and maybe they're doing really well in certain things. And, and um, I think that's just part of being in community. I think that if you're honest in your own family, there's different things that you face, right? Like you face certain challenges in your life. I mean, when you're in, you know, in elementary school, maybe your struggle is you are the bully or maybe you are being bullied, you know? Or maybe when you grow up and you're in high school, you struggle with being accepted or, or having friends. And then, you know, you get to the, to the later years of your high school years and then you try to figure out what are you gonna do with your life, right? Um, there's people in this room who have, who, have, who have retired who are still trying to figure out what they wanna do with their life, right? I mean, there's a lot of different challenges that we face uh, as we are going through life. But there were two problems that were facing the Philippians. There were two problems that were uh, facing the followers of Jesus in the city of Philippi. And so Paul actually, he, he comes to the conclusion about these two challenges because he heard by word, somebody had come and brought him a little update about the church in Philippi. And so he learned a little bit about what they were facing. And as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, he addresses these two things in his letter. He, he, he talks to them about these two things that are, that are at work that were also not only struggles or challenges that they were facing, they were also bringing division in the church. And the two things are this. Um, the two problems that were facing the Philippians are this. Number one, they, they had a, a, a bit of the community was leaning into self-righteousness. So they were becoming very legalistic. You know, they were the kind of people who would say, listen, we have got all the rules and the regulations and we follow all of them. And if, if you don't follow all these rules perfectly, then you don't get to be a part of our community. And so they had made a long list. They made a long list. And Paul fleshes this out in the first half of what we read because he talks about, hey, if you wanna talk about being self-righteous and being, um, being a person who follows all the rules and the regulations, let me tell you about my past. 
I am a Jew of Jews. I am of the tribe of Benjamin. I speak Hebrew fluently. I was also a Pharisee. I was also a Pharisee scholar. I followed the Mosaic law perfectly, okay? He, he said, I, I can talk about that all day long, okay? So one of the issues that they were struggling with was self-righteousness, this idea that we can do it ourselves, that I'm good in and of myself. And then the second thing, though, is correspondingly the opposite, but also a problem, is self-indulgence. And that was leading to licentiousness, this idea of, well, I'm saved by grace. I can live however I want. I, I'm a follower of Jesus. I have experienced grace. I can do and say whatever I want. And these two problems were, were, were working themselves out in the city of Philippi, right? They're, they're, what's happening is there's two, two camps forming inside of the church. And, and so some people are leaning a lot on their, on their self-righteousness, and then there's other people who are leaning into their self-indulgence, like, well, we've been given freedom, therefore we can do whatever we want. And so these things were, were a big problem. And self-righteousness, like I'm saying, it leads to legalism, though. And self-indulgence leads to licentiousness, this idea of, of just being able to do whatever I want with no moderation, no consideration whether or not a certain practice fits into following Jesus or not. And this is exactly what Paul is, is addressing here in this passage of Scripture. And, and in fact, it's really interesting when you look at this book, um, Paul starts out by talking very clearly about, uh, about the issue of self-righteousness. And I have, I've been fascinated by this passage of scripture for a really long time because as you all heard, Paul lists all of his accomplishments, right? Did you catch that? He's like, listen, let me tell you about being a, a righteous person. And he lists all these things that he's done. And he said, I was so righteous that I even persecuted the church. And if you know the story of the church from the book of Acts, you'll know that there became a point where when the church was just being birthed and was growing, there were people who were stoning followers of Jesus and then they were reporting to Paul because they had been inspired by Paul as the person to, to stir them up to go and persecute Christians. And so he has this really, really interesting thing where he talks about, you know, being, being a citizen, a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a Hebrew of Hebrews and et cetera, et cetera. But then he says this. He says, but all of those things I count as rubbish. I count it as, as, as being not important. And then he says um, in the second part of this passage, he talks a lot about how it's important to live one's life um, as a follower of Jesus, to live your life inspired by that. So these are the two things that Paul's talking about here. He's, he's concerned about self-righteousness and he's concerned about the issue of people being self-indulgent. And so these were the two challenges that are happening in the city of Philippi. And so what I wanna do for a, a little bit here is I wanna talk a bit about um, righteousness from two perspectives, righteousness that comes from God and then righteousness that comes from ourselves, which we ultimately find is actually not righteous. I wanna flesh that out a little bit. But before we do that, I want us to think about righteousness uh, and why it matters for us for a moment. I've been, I've been thinking for at least five, maybe, maybe seven years about discipleship. Like I've been thinking about it a lot, like reading all the books I can get. I've 
gone to conferences. I've engaged this topic with a lot of other followers of Jesus, pastors, theologians, biblical scholars. Because discipleship is a really interesting thing to me. Like the whole idea of discipleship, we talk about this all the time, is, is us becoming like Jesus, right? Like that's the way I think about it. Being a disciple means that we are all being shaped and formed to be like Jesus, right? Like that's the goal. If you're, a, if you're a disciple of Jesus, it means that you look to Jesus as your leader, as your inspiration, as your model for life. Are you with me? Like that's what discipleship's about, right? So I've been thinking a lot about discipleship. And, and there's, a, there's a, a thing where somewhere along the line, and I don't think this is recent. I think this has been an issue for churches and followers of Jesus for probably as long as the church has been around. But it seems like it's really easy really super easy to say, I am a Christian. Have you found that to be true? It's not like saying those words in our community is going to get you stoned. Amen? Like in our community, it's like, of course I'm a Christian. I'm an American. Right? And so we, we for whatever reason, it seems like it's really easy to check the box Christian. And then yet we go about our lives. And, and so when I'm, when I'm looking at scripture and I'm wrestling with the implications of the teachings of the Bible and I'm looking at my own life, I'm like, these don't always square up. Anybody with me? These don't always square up. And so I've been thinking a lot about this for a while now. And I think that one of the biggest challenges that we have and the church has always had, a challenge that you have, you may not even realize it, but a challenge you have is integrating your faith with your life. Like, it's one thing to say that I am a follower of Jesus, and it's another thing to actually follow Jesus. It's another thing to follow Jesus. And so we have Paul, I think, wrestling with this, is how does our faith, how does your faith in Jesus impact and shape the way that you live your life? And you can see this in every area. I mean, just think about the way that our, our faith in Jesus should impact the way that we interact with other human beings, right? The way we have relationships should be shaped and determined by our faith, amen? And so for instance, what are some of the, the characteristics and qualities and attributes that Jesus teaches for the way that we interact with other people? Well, let me tell you a few. Love one another. Love your enemies even. Isn't that crazy? Anybody else find that to be really challenging, right? I mean, love is really hard or forgive one another or to bear one another's burdens or to pray for one another or to be kind to one another or to always show hospitality to one another. I mean, there are, there are so many different commandments in scripture that should impact the way that we interact with other people. Amen? And then we should think about the way maybe if you're a business owner or if you are involved in business, how does your faith in Jesus impact your, your, your business, your, your work? Um, it, maybe you just work a job. You're just a normal nine to five or you work the swing shift and, and you go in and you have to realize that if you've been around, you know that there's people always looking to skim, aren't they? Right? I mean, it's always, I remember when I was in, I was working this job. This is the craziest job I ever had. In fact, I mean, even crazier than, okay. I didn't say it, you said it, but so I was working this job. It was, it was in the summer. I was saving up money to go back to college. And I went, so I went to private universities, which were like $9 million. I'm still literally paying off 
school. And so um, I, I, was, I was saving money, and I started working at this, at this uh, technology firm. And so they hired me to help build these, uh, these satellite systems, essentially. And so it was this rack, like a, a rack, and I'd, I'd screw in different computer components in it. And so we were, it was during the dot-com thing, it was like 2000, 2001, and so if you were involved in that world back then, they were just taking wads of money and just throwing it. It was crazy. So they hired me and I was like, yeah, I'm a college student. Um, and at that time, I had one real passion in life and that was ice hockey. I played ice hockey. I was basically born in Alaska with a fly rod in one hand and a hockey stick in the other. And I was like, let's do this, okay? At that time, I was really into ice hockey. I was playing in college and everything. And so I was like, hey, listen, the only thing I, ha I have to have, um, you know, the ability to, to play hockey at the different games I'm playing, like, no problem. So they hire me and they give me the swing shift though. And the swing shift was supposed to be from four until midnight and that was the hours. And so every night, because we were so ahead of the game and this was in 2000, I was getting paid $25 an hour. Okay, I know, crazy. I know, and I have so much to show for that. I went to college with no money. I have no idea how that happened. But so anyway, I, I'm working and I, I go in and they would, after two hours, they'd be like, hey, we're so ahead, just go home. We're gonna pay you for the full eight hours, but you can, you can go ahead. And I was like, oh, if you're gonna make me go home, you know? And so I did that. Well, then I figured out by a couple other guys, they're like, hey, we can come in at one o'clock and get paid overtime, which was time and a half, from one o'clock until four o'clock. And so I'd do my three hours of overtime and then I'd get two hours of regular time and get paid just crazy money as a 20 year old kid. But what I noticed is as I was around there, I started hearing how other people were trying to skim the system by basically not coming in for overtime for the full three hours, but they would come in and claim all those hours. And, and so that's one example, but think about all the other jobs you've had in your life where you see people trying to take advantage of the system, right? And so how does our faith in Jesus though impact the way that we work? It's a good question, isn't it? Like, because the whole point of discipleship is to integrate our faith in Jesus. The statement that Jesus is Lord has to apply to every area of our lives, amen? Every area of our lives, Jesus is Lord. And so this is what Paul is doing here. He's really wrestling with, with integrating our faith and centering our idea of righteousness, not on our own selves, but on the righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus. And then he also is trying to say, listen, because of the righteousness that Jesus has provided for you, you should live your life holy and you should pursue the things of the kingdom. So here's what I wanna do for just a few minutes here. I wanna talk about what righteousness isn't because I think that we have to acknowledge that the cultural context we find ourselves in. And I think this is both because we, we find ourselves in a country that many people consider to be a Christian nation. We also live in a community where a lot of people say that they're Christian. I mean, I, I have only had, and I've been here for five years now, I've only had one time where I met an actual atheist who told me basically to go to hell because I started talking about my faith. And I was like, I was unprepared for this conversation. I was just telling, you asked me what I do and I told you I'm a pastor and you just told me to go to hell. I don't want to lie, it was really awkward. Other than that, people are like, oh, that's great. Yeah, I'm a Christian, you know, and everybody around us says that they're Christian. And so I want us to just think about what righteousness isn't though, because 
we are in a community where oftentimes some of these things are assumed, but maybe we don't have a biblical worldview on some of these ideas. So let's just think about what righteousness isn't, though. Righteousness isn't, I think, checklist morality or simply saying the right things. What I mean by that is it's super easy to just make a list of all the right things to do, but to actually have our hearts far from God. Listen to what Isaiah the prophet says. This is, this is the Lord speaking through the prophet Isaiah. And so the Lord says, these people, and in the context it's the Jewish people, these people say they are mine, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. So checklist morality, or just doing the right thing per se, is not the same thing that Jesus is providing for us. It's not what Paul is talking about here. Um, it's not earned by us. This is the whole entire point of, of, I think, chapter three. There's nothing that you and I can do to earn righteousness. Thank God, because there's nothing, that we can't do enough, amen? We can't. It's also not human perfection. I was in a church community for a while um, that was super fundamentalist, super, super legalistic, and it was all about doing all the right things. And it's not that, though, Paul's saying that's not it. It's not just being perfect because you really can't. And then he says it's, it's, it's definitely not spirituality disconnected from our lives, like I'm talking about. It's integrated. So what is righteousness? What is righteousness? Um, it's holiness being set apart. It's obeying God. It's becoming like Jesus becoming like Jesus. It's found in knowing Jesus and based on his work. You know, Jesus died on the cross for what? For our sins, to provide salvation, right? To redeem us, to bring peace between ourselves and God. And it is, it is definitely spirituality that is connected to all of our lives. And this is a 24-7, 365 thing. It, it, it really, like if you really want if you really wanna know what it means to be a follower of Jesus, you have to hear this. It is not Sunday morning only. It's not Sunday morning only. I spent years in my life thinking it was Sunday morning only, but the more that I read scripture, the more that I engaged with, with the teachings of, of, of Jesus, the more that I realized that Sunday morning Christianity is the last thing that the world needs. What the world needs is Christianity that is, that is lived out in every aspect, every minute. Like when you wake up on Monday morning and you are getting ready to go to work, you're thinking about how you can be faithful to Jesus. So there's so much here in this passage of scripture. And I wanna wrap up with, with this, this idea of pressing forward. Paul, Paul fleshes some things out here. And I, I wanna just read, this, read these verses really quickly and then we're gonna stand up and pray. But Paul says, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Just that right there is amazing. Paul says he presses on to possess, to possess the perfection, in other words, the hope of what will become and that Jesus Christ possessed Paul because he saw that same thing. So here's, the, here's what Paul's saying, is he's saying that I have this hope to become what I am not. And that person that I'm going to one day become is the person that Jesus saw when he saw me. He see, Jesus sees something. He sees something in your life that you currently aren't, but you one day will. And then he 
be fleshed without more. He says, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak, mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Amen? Let's stand up together. We are pressing forward. We have to keep our eyes moving forward, thinking about the, the future. And this doesn't, you know, when Paul says, you know, forgetting the past, he doesn't mean ignore the past. He's not saying you need to pretend the past didn't happen. Um, Paul's talking about not allowing the past to determine our present or not allowing the past to control our present. And, and I'm just going to tell you right now that I think that one of the things that, that Jesus is um, wanting us to maybe press into this morning is this. There is, there is hope. Like, there's a reason to keep pressing on. Like, I can tell you just pressing on sometimes, you have to get through the, the moments of, of, I don't know, like the wall, you know? Like, when I, back 100 years ago, when I used to lift weights and work out a lot, I remember like you would, when I was lifting and I was, my goal when I was in high school is I wanted to bench more than 255 times. Like I was like, I just want to get there. I weighed 180 pounds 100 years ago. And I was like, oh man, I'm going to do it. And I remember I'd get to like 215 and then I would just hit this wall. How many of you lifted weights or do running? You just like, you hit the wall before. Anybody? Yeah, it's like terrible, huh? You're like, oh man. And I kept, I kept pressing and kept pressing. And then one day it was like, I jumped from 215 to 250. It was crazy. And, and there's also, there's all these different, different il illustrations or metaphors that we can think about how you have to go through something to ultimately get to the reality that we're pressing on for. You know, this, this week, um, obviously back to the elephant in the room, you know, like I can remember 18 years ago when Dawn was pregnant and we were like, oh my gosh, because we had been married for 10 minutes, you know, and we we're like, oh, might as well have a kid. We know what we're doing, right? And, um, you know, we got, we, we were pregnant and it was like nine months and it was so challenging because, you know, Don was like so uncomfortable and, and it was just everything about that period was really, really hard, right? The pregnancy was really challenging. But then on the day when Alana was born and you're holding this child, you're like, oh my gosh, that was so worth it. It was so hard for me, Don, but I have to let you know, it was totally <laughs> worth it. Right, no, I was kidding. <laughs> right, but it was like, I, I'll never forget when Don was holding Alana, I, like the first time. In the hospital, it was like, oh my gosh, this is what it's all worth. It's all worth it, right? And then even more so, like, I'm super sad that our daughter's not here right now. But I'm also really, I have a lot of, I have a lot of joy too because I know she's gonna, she's gonna be happy. It's gonna be great. I mean, I've like become an anteater dad now. I'm gonna get the sticker and everything, you know. But that's another one of those things that you, you go through all the challenges of raising kids so that one day you can see them spread their wings and start to fly, right? and then hopefully come back once in a while, right? But how much more so our faith in Jesus? Like you may be going through some really difficult and challenging things right now. Maybe you feel dry, maybe you're lost, maybe you are discouraged, maybe you don't know which way is up and which way is down, but I gotta tell you that you have to keep pressing forward. You have to keep on trying to possess the perfection with which Jesus perfected and possessed you, amen? And so that's the hope we have this morning. And so I'm gonna ask you right now just to close your eyes.
And we just thank you for your presence right now, Lord. And God, I just want to ask right now for anybody in this room that is feeling a bit hopeless, feeling a bit uninspired, feeling a little bit lost, that right now, God, you would bring some hope. You would bring some direction and that you would bring some inspiration and creativity. And so, Father, Lord, I thank you that we are not made righteousness because anything we do, we are made righteous because of what Jesus did. And so help us as a church community to live into the reality of the gospel, to live into the reality of, of the truth of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so I pray now, Lord, if there's anybody in this room who has not made a decision to follow you, that today would be the day that they say yes to you. They accept and receive your your grace and your kingdom. I pray that you would bring, Lord, hope all over this room. And Lord, as we transition from this, this gathering space to worship and to encourage one another, that you would go with us into the community around us and that we would be carriers of your grace and carriers of your hope. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus and all of God's people who agreed said amen. Folks, have a great week, and we will see you next Sunday.